If you look around you today, not in here, but I'm talking about in the world at large, you follow the news reports, you see what's on television, you understand that there are a lot of folks in our world today suffering from the victim mentality. When bad things happen, rather than take responsibility for them, they blame the world. Sometimes, when we face challenges in life, when things are not exactly going our way, it's easy sometimes for us to let our emotions get the best of us. And sometimes it's real easy for us to just sit down and have a real pity party for ourselves. Or to be as... Well, how many of you used to watch or still watch the Three Stooges? As Curly would say, I'm a victim of circumstances. So many people want to be a victim of circumstances. It often seems that in our world today, in our society today, in 21st century America, there's no place for personal responsibility for our actions. Among many progressive thinkers, the popular idea is there is no accountability for what we do. No matter what might happen, we can always shift the blame to someone else. Did you burn yourself on that cup of coffee you got at the drive-thru at McDonald's? No problem. It's not your fault. Sue them. They should have warned you the coffee was hot. I mean, really? Who knew? Coffee is served hot? What a novel concept. Still, the unsuspecting should be warned. Then again, perhaps some of us have put on a little too much girth around the midsection. Our spare tire looks like it needs to be on a skidder and not a passenger car. Like my Aunt Mary used to tell me, my sweet little Aunt Mary up in Little Rock, Arkansas, we'd go see her. Every time we went in her house and she'd look at me, she'd say, Nephew, I believe you're a little fleshier than the last time you were here. Well, if my pants are a little bit tight, if my coat doesn't button, it must be someone else's fault. Those all-you-can-eat buffets should have better choices on the serving line. Then again, there's all those different desserts, Leon. You can't leave any of those out. There should be a warning on the double cheeseburger at Whataburger that it's not a healthy food choice. And those fries... They don't bother to let us know up front that saturated fat and grease is unhealthy. That spare tire around the middle of my section here, my midsection here, that's not my fault just because I ate so much of that stuff. Have you heard about a place to eat in Las Vegas? I want to go there so bad. Not to Las Vegas, but to this restaurant. It's called the Heart Attack Grill. It has a caution sign on the front door warning people that eating there is not healthy. 
The waitresses at the heart attack grill wear nurses' uniforms. And the customers are actually given a hospital gown. They have a burger on the menu that's called the triple bypass burger. It has somewhere between six and 8,000 calories. They also have a burger choice that's called an octuple bypass burger. That means it has eight slices of meat. And their meat patties are half pound. The octuple bypass burger has four pounds of beef on there. And it comes with cheese and chili. And if you want to add bacon, you can add 40 slices of bacon for an extra charge. They fry their... Oh, by the way, the octuple bypass burger has something north of 19,000 calories in it. In case you're wondering and putting that in perspective, 2,500 to 4,000 calories a day is the recommended allowance for most people. They fry their french fries in lard. Do you really need somebody to tell you that the food at the heart attack grill is not good for you? You eat there regularly and you get fat. And it's not the fault of the restaurant. Actually, if you go to the heart attack grill and you weigh over 350 pounds... You can eat as many of the single bypass burgers as you want free, as long as you order a drink with each burger. I won't ever get to eat free. Here's the thing. The Heart Attack Grill is not exactly what you would call a vegan restaurant. Actually, I heard that recently that vegan is an old Indian word that means bad hunter. The point is, in modern society, no matter what happens, we can always blame someone else. If I have more debt than I can pay, it's not my fault, it's their fault. They gave me all those credit cards. The onset of Freudian psychology began to permeate our culture many years ago with the idea that every wrong action you take can be blamed on things that happened in your early childhood. Every wrong action that you take in life all stems from conflicts you had with your mother. You do not have to accept any responsibility. You're a victim. Well, what I want us to do this morning, all that's to say this, I want us to look at two Passages of Scripture, two incidents that happen. I want us to see in one of them how Jesus responded to a man that had the victim mentality. In another one, I want us to see how the early church responded to the victim mentality. And hopefully from that, we see how that we can transform ourselves where we're not victims, but we are victorious through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, we have a story of a man there at the pool of Bethesda. And there's a great crowd of people that always congregate at the pool of Bethesda. 
It's a multitude of sick people. They're blind, they're lame, they're paralyzed, they have various physical infirmities. And they're waiting for the moving of the water. And they're a miserable lot, and yet misery loves company. So here we see in that story in John chapter 5, we see these multi, this multitude of people lying around the pool of Bethesda waiting for the waters to start stirring. And as you see this multitude of people, hundreds, perhaps thousands of sick people lying around, you realize only the first one to get into the water when the water stir is going to be healed. Well, what about the rest of them? Well, they can say, well, I'm not sick, but it's not my fault. I wanted to get into the water, but someone beat me to it. You see, I have, you have to understand, I'm not responsible for my circumstances. Well, there's a man there that time that Jesus healed in that occasion, on that occasion in John chapter 5. And the man Jesus healed has had an infirmity for 38 years. Now, we have no way of knowing exactly what is wrong with this man. We don't know if he was paralyzed or crippled or had some other condition that prevented him from walking. It may be that he started out with some debilitating condition that made it difficult to walk. And that after a time, he just quit trying. And that when he quit trying, his muscles became withered and wasted. Worse than his muscles becoming withered and wasted, his will became withered and wasted and his will became emaciated. But it wasn't his fault. Jesus questioned him in the story. And Jesus looked at the man. He said, do you want to be made well? And that seems a rather rhetorical question. Because who wouldn't want to be made well? It was actually a question to the man's will rather than to the man's physical condition. Now, if Jesus came to me today and he said, Tim, you want your hand to be made well? I said, yes. But you see, this man, instead of giving Jesus just a simple yes, he makes excuses. He says, I can't be healed. I don't have anybody to put me into the water when the waters are troubled. When the waters begin to stir, I don't have anyone to put me into the water. And nobody will help me. And if I try to get in, somebody always beats me to it. It's not my fault, Lord, is what He's saying. As you read the story, and I would encourage you to go read it. It's in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. As you read the story, what you see is you see Jesus moving toward a healing, not just of the man's physical ailment, but He moves toward a healing of the man's will. You see, sometimes... People don't want things to be made right. Sometimes people actually enjoy the victim mentality. 
Because as long as I'm a victim, it's not my fault. But if I'm no longer a victim, then I have to be responsible. And if I'm responsible, then I have to make an effort to do what's right. And guess what? (laughs) That requires work. That requires effort. It's a whole lot easier to lie by the pool and blame others for my problems. But notice in the story what Jesus says to the man. He said, do you want to be healed? Well, I can't, Lord. Jesus says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus says, stop blaming other people for your problems. Just get up and do it. Take some responsibility for yourself, Jesus said. Rise, rise, take up thy bed and walk, Jesus said. I'm going to read the story to you. Verse 9, John chapter 5. And immediately, and immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And it was the Sabbath. Oh my goodness. This man was not ready for a life-altering experience. Because he rises up in response to Jesus, takes up his bed and walks. It's the Sabbath. And the Jews said, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. You know what he said? It's not my fault. The man that, that healed me. The man that made me whole, he's the one that told me to take up my bed and walk. It's not my fault. He told me to do it. This man, by the pool of Bethesda, has met Jesus Christ. He's met the Jesus Christ who changes lives. And he still wants to blame other people. We've got to take responsibility for our own actions. We've got to take responsibility for our own circumstances. Yes, we have to take responsibility sometimes for our own failures. Now, in Acts chapter 8, the early church is facing a different kind of adversity. Acts chapter 7 closes with Stephen being taken out of the city and stoned to death. The young men that... Or stoning him, or the, the people who are stoning him lay their clothes down at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. And Saul, Acts 8 opens that Saul is consenting to his death. And there's a great persecution taking place among the church in Jerusalem. If ever a group of people had a reason to point fingers, That Jerusalem church did. Saul of Tarsus, the greatest persecutor the church had ever known, was behind the death of the beloved Stephen. He was the one that was behind all the persecution of the church. It says that he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Acts chapter 8 shows us a group of people on the run. 
It shows us a group of people being driven from their homes. It shows us a group of people being scattered everywhere. Folks, if anyone ever had a reason to blame other people for their problems, it was the church of the first century. How can we be of any use to anyone, they must have asked. We've been scattered everywhere. We don't even have a place that we can call home anymore. If God really loves us, how can God allow this to happen to us? When the apostles baptized us, when they let us become followers of, when we became followers of Jesus Christ, nobody told us that this was going to take place. How can I be expected to share the gospel with people I don't even know? That could have been their response if they'd had the victim mentality. But here's how they responded in verse 4. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. Instead of blaming others, they accepted their circumstances. And they knew Jesus had said, go preach the Gospel. And that's what they did. They went out everywhere. They went out all over. It says, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Gospel. They went to Judea. They went to Samaria and to the ends of the world. Remember what Jesus had said in Acts chapter 1? He said, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They went from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're told in that 8th chapter, that Philip went down to Samaria. And when Philip went down to Samaria, you know what he did? He preached Christ. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, verse 5, and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things that Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. Now skip down to verse 8. The people gave heed to his preaching, and there was great joy. In the city. Now here's the question. How do we respond? How do we respond to adversity? How do you and I respond to adversity? When adversity comes our way, do we blame others? Or do we stand on the promises of God? Do we take charge of the situation? Or do we give in and allow ourselves to become a victim of circumstances? Do we blame other people for our failure in the service of the Lord? I've known people over the years that were experts at that. Well, I was sick, and they just didn't call me enough 
And they didn't visit me enough. And they didn't send me enough cards. And that's why I lost interest in the church. Well, I was sick. And they wouldn't leave me alone. They kept bugging me. They kept calling me and telling me they missed me. And they kept sending me cards. And I just got tired of it. You can't win. I never could teach Sunday school class. I don't know enough to teach Sunday school class. Me teach class? I taught a class one time and, I, and there was just too much criticism. Well, I just can't really get excited about the church and I can't get excited about my spiritual life because the preacher is just so boring. Oh, I can't... Stop feeling sorry for myself because, you know what, everybody's against me. When people are tempted to fall into that kind of thinking, folks need to remember what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In case you're not aware of it, Life has a way of sometimes dealing harshly with us. Life has a way of sometimes dealing harshly with all of us. We all go through some hard times in life. At some point in our lives, we all know financial struggles. At some point in our lives, all of us have a personal crisis of faith. Our faith is sometimes weak. We will doubt our abilities. We'll hold on to things that we ought to get rid of. We'll forget where our strength lies. But when life deals harshly with us, when we have a personal crisis of faith, when we doubt our abilities, Jesus comes to us. He comes to me and He comes to you with the same question He asked that man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to be healed? We can't blame others. We have to be victorious and not victims. We have to take up our bed and walk. Jesus Christ has promised us salvation. How did that song go? We sang, Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Jesus has promised us, me and you, salvation. Jesus has also promised that He would supply all of our needs. We don't need to be victims. We need to live victoriously in Jesus Christ. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know. There may be changes you need to make. If there are changes you need to make in your life, if we can help you with those changes, now's the time and to come and let us do that as together we stand and while we sing.